0: Welcome to the talking learning and teaching podcast. On today's episode, we're discussing ADHD and academia with Rich Harvey. Rich Harvey is Associate Dean of Academic Staff Development at BIM University, where he has worked over the past 12 years in a variety of teaching and leadership roles during a long period of organisational development leading up to the Institute recently achieving university status. Rich works to support the development of teaching and learning staff in a range of functions across the university's eight campuses in the UK and Europe, and his current responsibilities include being the course leader for the PG cert in learning and teaching professional practice and overseeing the accreditation and delivery of Advanced HE Fellowship Award CPD programmes. Rich had a diagnosis of ADHD two years ago around the age of 40 and has found this to be an eye opening experience in many ways. He is interested in using his own experience of adapting to the clearer awareness of his own needs post diagnosis to better inform his ability to ensure the needs of staff at the institution are effectively met, especially where neurodivergence is at play. Enjoy the episode. So, Rich, welcome to the Talking, Learning and Teaching podcast. We're going to talk today about you being an academic with ADHD and. Am I right in saying that you had your diagnosis of ADHD relatively late in life? So as an adult, this isn't something that you knew about when you were a young person. I guess my first question off the back of that then is how did your initial diagnosis of ADHD impact upon your
1: well-being? Uh, Yes, you are correct. It was I was creeping up on 40 when I had my diagnosis and um, 42 now yeah it, so yeah it was definitely really late by that by that description so initially um it was a real relief actually you know it was a sense of kind of oh, uh, this explains a lot <laughs> and a lot of people i know really well sort of said well yeah of course um so oh, well thanks for that you know <laughs> um and and i suppose you know you think about this especially as an educator you think Shouldn't it have been more obvious to me? Um, I mean, I did a a self-diagnosis years before, um, probably in my mid-30s. Again, a hallmark of being in, I was really struggling at the time and I was like, oh, you know, a lot on and and maybe I've got this. And I did this self-diagnosis and scored really highly on it and then put it in a drawer and did nothing about it, which as far as I gather is not the most uncommon thing in the world. So, um, yes, so so initially um, I was relieved. Um, I kind of felt seen as well in a different sense like that I was seeing myself again through a new lens but also I was able to be a little bit more um, acknowledging of you know just other aspects of who I am you know I'm, not, I'm no wallflower <laughs> people um, people I work with have a pretty strong sense of like who I am and sort of what I'm about but I felt really seen through this different lens. And I, I, I was reading a lot of stuff around my diagnosis then that suddenly started to just think sync a lot better with internal processes that I had had going on in my life and, and going on in my head that uh, made a lot of sense. Um, and I think that whole thing about initially with the diagnosis, uh, just recognising that there was this thing there. That there's a really good book uh, called driven by distraction. And when you pick it up. Um I picked it up, scanned through the contents, found my way to this particular chapter and started reading there. And the book tells you, you might have just done this thing that I'd just done. You might have just scanned through and done this and found yourself here, even though you just picked the book up. It's like, oh, OK, there's something going on here. Um, <laughs> this person knows me really well. And of course, they don't. They just sort of know the, the general behaviours. So it was a really big kind of light bulb around just a mental process is a bit of a, like I said, a bit of a relief. Okay, well, there's a reason why these things are a struggle or a struggle. Uh, but there's also, um, it was really eye opening in terms of learning other things about myself that I hadn't, that I had struggled with, but I had not ever linked to ADHD. I was really quite ignorant to the, um, So the emotional dysregulation aspects of it and how they manifest for me is very clear in certain numbers, in certain ways, in certain situations. It's like, oh wow, that that really makes a lot of sense as well. And I hadn't really accounted that that was part of this. Yeah. So that was initially and you said as well, how did it impact on my well-being? Well, I suppose that's. It's a mixed bag. How those sort of you know, it was a mixed bag. Some days those realizations are really helpful, and they're really like, "Oh, okay, well, that's good, that's the reason." And some days it's like, "Well, actually, I'm not, I'm not really that pleased about this." But also because it's part of the diagnosis and it's really obviously, you know, a concrete issue um, or a concrete thing. Um, some of the days are really difficult. Medication was I got onto medication quite quickly, and initially that was amazing. Um, uh, Although after a time I then struggled with it and getting my dosage right and that kind of thing, so um, there was a lot of there was a, at first I suppose there was a bit of an overly optimistic sense of like oh great you know I've found this I've found medication this is going to be the solution to all these problems how amazing and when you first take medication for it or when again when I first took it I had a really amazing experience for a short period of time and then you know you um, you then sort of have to realise that that is not no one thing no one coping mechanism or Thing, whether it be medication or a strategy, is, is going to sort of solve all of these things, and that's the sort of the frustration I've now sort of starting to learn to live with a little bit better. Yeah,
0: I mean that's interesting, isn't it? Because I mean it came across actually in the answer to the question that it it, it appeared to be a mixed bag from a well being okay.
1: perspective. Oh yes, you know
0: that yeah you know, a relief yeah you know, which you would think is a good thing, but then obviously there are challenges as well. I mean, are you open with your colleagues about being a person with ADHD? And if you are has that been sort of supportive or or beneficial from a well-being perspective being open about it
1: yeah, yeah definitely i mean um I, again I, just before i answer this i something that i do want to just at least clarify because i feel slightly conscious of it uh, you know in a podcast like this um, i'm no expert i'm learning so much and i'm and I, you know i'm i'm here to be a sort of a, a flawed human being sharing his experience but you know, I might misrepresent some of these things and, and certainly these things aren't necessarily going to be generalizable across the, you know, range of people that are going to have ADHD. And, um, so yeah, I, I just want to caveat that, um, I think that question, how does this help? It all kind of relates to what your context is and who the people are around you. Um, so I'm very open with it. Um, but I'm also, a really sort of strong presentation of my ADHD, which is very common, is, is oversharing anyway, right? So it's a it's a real thing for ADHD is to be oversharing um, information. I'm very much like that, so I almost don't have a choice. Um, but I've got really good support and really great colleagues who are also open about their neurodivergence and have a really good culture around it. Um, so in some ways. I would have no choice to be open about it anyway, because I'm just that person. Uh, But I have been really well supported. I think I'd probably say as well, if I'm honest, in the last couple of years, probably annoyingly open about it, because it's been such a big... I mean, going back to that, I almost feel I've been slightly almost disingenuous in saying it was a mixed bag because the relief was really strong in my diagnosis. But the challenges have been really, really, really frustrating. And also my diagnosis happened at a time where I was unwell with stress as well. So it's like, you know, you all of your acute kind of day to day problematic irritants around how you don't function well really you know that surfaced in as yeah in as stressful a way as it possibly could have done but going back to this sort of thing about being open about it i've been open about all that as well again you know um i don't i do have days where i share things and say things and expose things that i still question um that's you know 40 years of living through that ableist lens of looking at these sort of things and you know you you, you say i should i should be able to do this why can't i just do that and you know sometimes you do just really get stuck in the sort of the oh god if i could just function like fairly reliably for two hours you know and stay on track and that kind of thing it can be very 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 frustrating at certain points but i'm open about that kind of stuff with everybody as well um i've spoken to people that um that that don't feel the same about it uh but what uh, and I've got friends as well who have been through a similar thing who have uh, again had lots of really good support at the companies that they're at so I think that it it's a combination of it's helpful to the degree that you want to share it and you feel okay with it I think you have to be again my, my reading of it in my context is I have to be OK with the idea that I'm going to share some stuff that is going to make me go, oh, did I, did I really want to share that? How does that really make me look? Because that's the transition that I'm really very much still go, go, going through. Um, but if you do that and you stare into it, provided you've got the right support around you and people are, you know, um, understanding about these things, uh, then, it, you know, it will be fine. Um, it's something about being open about it is that, is that congruence thing. Um you know, having the job title that I have, but also being somebody that leaves their front door open—well, recently about once a week, actually—those um, two things don't seem particularly congruent from a front-facing kind of professional um, image. Um, and I guess I, it, the more you're open about it, I think the more you have to just kind of be OK about that. And that's probably more my own judgment than it is other people's. But it's also other people's as well. And that's a totally it's also a totally fine judgment to have. I mean, I would have the same kind of concerns um, that I have about myself with other people as well, I suppose. so Yeah. Yeah. I
0: mean, loads of interesting stuff. there. I guess. I mean, the next question is a very similar one in that, you know, are, are you open with students about, ADHD I mean I've got colleagues uh, with autism uh, that are educators that are very open with their students about that and they say that that's of of great benefit because it kind of it gets it out in the open and it kind of puts us all in the picture if you like and it, it makes them better able to do their job by by disclosing that I mean what are your what are your thoughts on that in terms of you know being open with your students in relation to to ADHD 100%
1: 100% agree. Uh, there's a caveat here to some extent in that uh, um, the teaching, other than the odd bit of guesting on our, um, our MA learning and teaching course, my teaching practice is, is limited to either a small bit of delivery on the pg server i'm a course leader for or running staff development workshops around uh, senior fellowship and learning and teaching stuff so i'm often very much I'm, i don't have a great deal of contact with undergrad students um and uh, most of the learners that i'm working with are actually our staff and and by you know by that put it, colleagues as well um but i would be and i totally agree with the sentiments that you shared there from somebody else we had uh, a, another colleague of mine did an amazing piece of research on her PG-Cert, uh, sharing um, her autism diagnosis with her students and uh, said exactly the same things. And, and it was amazingly fruitful. I think what it's good for is that you get some pretty, I think, with any kind of neurodivergence, you get quite a lot of quite direct Instructional kind of self awareness that you can give to people and say, "Look, here's how I'm going to be, okay, and that might not be how you might expect. Uh, you might have all sorts of assumptions, uh, but let me tell you: if you ask me to do X, Y, and Z, here's how I'm likely to respond. Um, you might not necessarily like that, but this is something that's going just going to happen. So here's how we work around it. And so actually, I, I think in in the round." it just puts you in a really strong position to be able to set expectations and doesn't. wouldn't this be great for everybody in some ways in that that's one of the, the the really big benefits of it is that um once you sort of get that stuff out in the open it, it really helps clarify expectations of people about how you're going to be and you know and 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 especially if you're working through it something again i you know, the reason i wanted to do this is that i feel i'm getting a lot better at this kind of stuff but you know i'm still early in my journey um And you're going to get some of those things wrong and some of those things right. And part of the process of learning to be better around this stuff and being and how being transparent helps is to be transparent about, you know, you're not going to necessarily suss all of these things out. And some of the things you might need to work with people is negotiation. You know, um, sometimes. I need to ask people to help me to organize things or remind me to do things. And then sometimes, you know, it will be a case of they're having to remind me because that still hasn't worked um and asking just for that little bit of leeway to go look just understand that some of these things might um be more difficult uh, and you might have to work with me in these ways and then I, I suppose hopefully that you know um you're giving enough on the other end in other ways that people will will do that for you and help you through it um but yeah no I, i'm i'm super open about it um and i think that it's also from a learning and teaching perspective i mean that's the subject area so how, to me it's kind of how can you not be um, because it's really useful for again for other staff who are trying to teach from this way <laughs> um, but also for you know, the, you know our PG Cert. it's a constant conversation really about well how are we going to help support and understand our students that are in this position um, and uh, the more dialogue you can have about it and the more you can share that experience I think the better really yeah
0: No, I totally agree. I think there are a number of things that resonated there. I think, you know, good teaching is often about building relationships, isn't it? And I think if you can be really, really clear and open about, you know, what you said there, you know, if if you ask me X, Y and Z, you know, this is the the answer you're going to get. But at least if you're the student and you kind of know that, that's beneficial, I think. I mean, I had a boss years ago that used to create this sort of one page profile about how they like to work. You know, I'd prefer you to come and see me in person and send me an email sort of thing. And it was a bit like that's really beneficial because I kind of know now what the expectations are. I don't have to guess. Shall I email? Shall I ring you? Shall I knock on the office door? It was really, yeah. really clear to set the expectations right from day one. And I think that's really useful, isn't it? From from a learning and teaching perspective, as well as lots of other perspectives. Um, and I think yeah, that, I mean, so just
1: from the sort of go on, go on. Sorry. I mean, I'm, you go ahead. On that, there's something really um you know, going back to the trans from, from diagnosis to now, you know, you, you shift and how you think about these things. When I read that initial diagnosis, I was really I was really sort of troubled by a particular piece of wording, which was needs to work under closer supervision than would normally be expected. And that was a, going back to that idea of like, well, I have this kind of job and this kind of job title, and you know, being well regarded doing this. But actually, that's also a, a, a truth. Now, how do those things stack up together? And, how, you know, and um, and it also felt, you know, it, especially when you go to diagnosis, because you look back at childhood and and, um, you know, it rings, it, it sort of knocks on the door of that. You can't be you know, you need the supervision. And that's quite infantilizing as a kind of a, of a as something to read. And then you know a few years later you just look at it and go yeah I'm 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 a lot more over that and I'm a lot more likely to say to somebody I, I I'm going to need you to to sit with me on this or I'm going to need you to tell me when you need it and I'm going to need you to be really direct with me because you know somebody said to me the other day I don't I'm no rush on this doesn't matter what it's going it's like no. Do not say that to me, because you're just you're just putting yourself down the stimulation pecking order. And you, you know, do not do that. This I need to see what the priority is, and if it's no rush, then at the very least, we need to get some kind of firm deadline on it. So it's just helping. Yeah, again, just helping manage. Don't do the red flag stuff that's going to put you in a position where I'm then struggling to get the right kind of dopamine and the right kind of stimulation to get the work done for you. That kind of thing.
0: I mean, that's that's really interesting because I think we often talk. I mean, certainly my sort of one of my key areas of, of specialism, as you like, from an educational perspective is sort of accessible, inclusive and equitable education. And, you know, a big part of that is about removing or reducing barriers. But, you know, we as educators sometimes face barriers, don't we, that it's, you know, it's beneficial for us if those barriers are removed as well. And I think part of what you said there kind of really, really spoke to that. I mean. Are there any advantages to having ADHD? I mean, are there things that you do better or find easier mm-hmm. as a result of that? <laughs>
1: um, I mean, there are things that um, I think. I said, "Rich, you know what?" I've been thinking about this. It's a really, it's a, it's a hard question because um, the. The extent to which any of these things are advantages, they're just, they're so contextual, they're so situational, um, they're so dependent. um, And it's hard not to feel like to do it. I I feel like I'm trying to sort of talk in generalities. But I I think for me, um, I think one thing I would say is I've probably experienced more of the advantages of my ADHD outside of work than I do in it, um, because I don't tend to experience hyper focus as as, as well inside of work as i do outside of work because i do a lot of desk work right and that's always going to be something that's very very hard to do for long periods of time in any con no matter what i'm doing um you know if i'm going back to being open students if i'm teaching or teaching on zoom i make it really clear with people really quickly and that's partly because being on one call for you know three four hours or for a couple of hours it can be can be a lot to be in my seat for that amount of time and uh and and very commonly if you ask anybody that, I, that sits on committees with me or anything like that if i've been quiet for uh, if i've not been able to talk for about an hour and a quarter there's a point at which if it's my opportunity to speak there's going to be a little bit of an exuberance about it and it's out there and so i mean i guess i'm not even answering the question i'm talking about disadvantages so well, how do they even get there um Yes, I was saying, wasn't I, that I experience a lot of this stuff more outside of work than in. When I do art and when I do music and, you know, whatever I'm doing there, I I tend to sort of um I can I can fail really comfortably as long as I'm interested in this thing. So it doesn't matter if I pick something up and I think I'm I'm interested in this to be good to to, to get good at it, I, I will get good at it. No matter what it takes, because if I'm, as long as I'm stimulated and interested in it, I'll just fail, 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 and, and, and really enjoy the process of it. I went to learn pottery, and there's somebody, albeit you know, quite a bit younger next to me, but um, she was just really getting in her own way because it was a lot harder. than We were all like, this is a lot harder than it looks on the internet, um, and I was just loving it, absolutely loving it, because it was like, yeah, okay, that's another one messed up, another ball of clay, another one messed up, and in those kind of environments, it's like, so how does that relate to work? Well, it doesn't go well into the written work and desk work. That's usually like the grind when it comes to ADHD advantages that work for me in the context of the work I do is problem solving and being with people, right? So if you bring me a problem, um, it's, if I've, it, especially if I've not really, really been anything to do with the worst of <laughs> the problem or the causing of it, if you've got a problem, give me a call and I would be I'd be confident and you could speak to lots of people You go. Yeah, I'd be up there in the top one or two people that they would call first if they had a problem or they wanted some advice or they needed somebody to help work something out. I love doing that. It's, it's just yeah, that part of that is also um, related to ADHD. Part of that is also tied up with rejection sensitivity. So because of that, you end up you, know, you being quite a people pleaser and you always want to help. And it's always going to make me feel good um, and valued and sort of wanted if I can help something somebody with something um, during a day um, that makes me feel like I'm making a contribution, but I'm also good at the process and I'm generally pretty good at helping people to see. Uh, generally pretty good at sort of helping translate. This might sound strange, but a sense of, well, if somebody brings me a problem again, it's like, oh, okay, well I'm not maybe this particularly worried about this because I wasn't five minutes ago. and And, and this is your, so I can help translate that sense of it's okay. Look, there's stuff we can do here, and and most of the time, actually, people are coming with their own solutions, and all they really need to hear is like, solution sounds generally okay. You should go forth and and, and solve. So it's um it's being with people, right, and it's relationship building, and it's and I think that a lot of that is um, they say that and I say there. I mean, some of the stuff that I've read around this is it, it, speculated to some degree, at least, to be that you're so your brain is so on that it's taking in so much and it's it so that if it can focus enough on something like a relationship with somebody or an interaction or a problem, that it's picking up um the things that other people might not pick up as well or, or more of the detail. I'm not so sure how robust that is, but that does chime with my experience. Um, I think people... Share things well with me as well, pretty comfortably. Um, I tend to be something people, somebody people would confide in. That's partly just about being trustworthy, but it's also, even though I'm not always the greatest listener, um, they, I think people feel that. I'm always trying to relate to it and understand what's going on for them. You know, so for ADHD is there's a really common thing where we'll do the thing that is often said to be the worst thing. Right. So somebody tells you about an issue or a challenge or something and you go, well, something like that happened to me one time. And there's a school of thought, certainly from kind of like a therapy place where it's like that's kind of not really the thing to do. But it's quite an unavoidable thing to do for a lot of ADHD presentations because it's how we relate to people. It's how we show. Look, actually, once we get past that. I'll still be there to help you with things. But so, um, yeah, I, I just I feel like that that kind of stuff works. I think there's an energy level thing as well if I'm with people. So this I think I don't, this is certainly not a specific ADHD thing, but I'm highly extroverted. Uh, I really energise from being around people. And you pair that with like critical thinking, creative thinking and being able to make connections with things that maybe might not, have occurred to um to everybody um then i've usually got really high levels of energy for that kind of work now that can mean i can be exhausting i'll usually i'll be the last to get tired um and i have to keep you know so it can be an advantage but i you know people need to be okay to go yeah i'm knackered that rich i've had enough which i'm, I'm cool to hear
0: <laughs> and it, it, it sounds like you've got quite a strong self-awareness of of those different aspects like you said you know in a meeting if you've not spoken for an hour and a quarter you know how you're going to then sort of react to that and i think sometimes that can be an advantage in itself can't it if you kind of know how you're going to respond to various situations and circumstances and you can kind of preempt what those responses are going to be that can that can be obviously really useful it kind of links a little bit this whole kind of awareness and understanding to the next question and we'll, we'll approach this question kind of generally mm. um not just necessarily in the context of your institution but i mean do you think we could do better in higher education in terms of employing people with adhd i mean are we that aware of adhd are we that inclusive and accessible i mean you know are, are we knowledgeable enough about it to sort of appropriately support people i guess with adhd i mean maybe yeah that's a very general question and well, don't think... worry if you provide a general answer because you know I, I suppose you've only got experiences within your in your context but i mean yeah. it'd just be useful to get your your viewpoint on that
1: yeah i mean again you know thanks for clarifying that because it, it, it whatever whatever i come up with here is certainly just going to be my my view um I think both actually. So you've asked the question in a couple of slightly different ways. You've sort of said, could we do better? And are we, are we doing enough or are we good enough? At, and it's like, actually, probably a bit of both. Like we're, we're, we're probably doing enough in some ways, but we could do a lot better. So those two things I think can exist at the same time. And, and, um, because I think as you know, what the conversations we'll be having about ADHD in 10 years, in 20 years are going to be really different from the conversations that we're having now. I feel absolutely confident about that because as a sector, you know, we are a sector that learns. Right. So so I don't have um uh, I tend to just think, yeah, I have a lot of trust that we'll continue to get better. I think as well, I've had. A humbling level of support around my diagnosis, partly, again, because it came at a time, it came right. In the middle of a crash of, of of when I was experiencing a lot of stress as well, so I was getting you know it was it was bundled up in in that same kind of support, but but specifically even if I hadn't been in an acute time of stress and struggling with it in that regard, I know I would have had again just a humbling level of support. So um, I've had yes lots of direct support like coaching, some support from. Um, work with therapy costs as well around some of the stuff I've done um, and uh just personal support and understanding you know we've got a really good culture around being open. I mean we're creative industries practice so we're all musicians, dancers, filmmakers at heart you know in in by by, by trade, so to speak um in our staffing. So, you know, there's a lot of openness and understanding around that, perhaps maybe more differently than there might be in other places. But I think the difference maker is. um, Nobody's sort of. Come along and gone, right, well, because you have this, we're going to do X, Y and Z. Instead, it's like we need to work together to figure out what X, Y and Z kind of looks like for you um and that's been quite a long journey and we're all still you know I'm still working on it but um so i i guess i guess the question would be is is are people doing the basics right and 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 i wouldn't have had any um there was absolutely no question so you know the openness about reasonable adjustments um I had a lot of flexibility in my work anyway. I'm in a pretty senior role, so those things tend to also be, you know, you tend to be working under a lot of autonomy. If anything, you know, the struggle for me is having so much autonomy in the role that I, that I have, right? And that's something that I work through, you know, with my manager and with my team as well. Um, It's, uh, like I said, going back to that idea of closer supervision. Most people talk, or well, lots of people, I suppose, don't they? They talk in casual terms about, oh, don't micromanage me, and you know, I understand that sentiment, but there are days quite frequently where I wake up and go, please, somebody micromanage me. Somebody put the blinkers on and glue me to the desk and, uh, or tell me what I'm doing at two o'clock and do this kind of stuff. Cause it's a really hard thing to keep track of for myself. So, you know, I, but I think going back to this, what are people doing um, is, is learning to figure it out with people as individuals because My experience of a diagnosis was like, wow, there's a lot of stuff to deal with here. So actually, what are we going to try and deal with first? What can we be reasonably sure will work better than other things? And how and how can I think people who are supporting people like me not feel overly conscious about the need to sort of get it right or have prescriptive ways of doing things? Because. I think this extends to staff, but it's you know, a more useful lens when we look and think of students, you think about reasonable adjustments. Sometimes we do these sort of things where we say, "Okay, well, you know, you'll struggle with deadlines and getting things done on time. So have extra time. It's like, don't give me extra time. I'll just use it to do to to not quite finish. It's like if we're just going to be I will probably regret saying this as hopefully as I am. But that that is the truth of this condition. It's like or, or certainly my experience with it. It's like, no, no, I don't need extra time. The deadline's the deadline. But what we really need to do is look at that work a week before, because if I can't show you a week before something that even is approaching complete, you're going to have concerns and then when I'm telling you it's not done on on the day but I'm just about to finish it that's going to feel bad for all of us and that's the way that it's going to go if we don't do those things so I think that you just got to um uh work through what are the most important adjustments that you want to make around stuff um I think also as well I, I I I think people might well listen to this and say I know that that, that I would be totally understanding if they disagreed with the way that I framed a lot of stuff, because I do frame some of this stuff as a deficit because I experience it as a deficit. And I think that's a really, um, you know, there are plenty of days where I just go "I really, 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 really wish I don't, I didn't have this when I say plenty. I mean, really it's a lot. Um, It, it's a difficulty for me um more than it is a you know it's a curse more than it is a blessing um but that is what it is um so i just think that um it helps me to be self-deprecating around it and i know that that's difficult because i'm Privileged enough to be self-deprecating around it, to be honest. That's, that's the, if I'm, you know, it's, it's, um, I'm sort of making light of it and making a joke of it. And that's a coping mechanism. Maybe it's not the most helpful or positive thing, but also, you know, I've been fortunate enough to be in a position where people have shown me loads of warm value, respect for who I am. So I can poke a bit of fun at it, but, um, but equally the last thing I would do is say, That that's how necessarily it should be treated by everybody. Um, because that's probably one of the hardest things for some people to do and to process through it. Um, it is really debilitating. It's like, and it's a, and, and for me, I just, if I'm honest, I experience it as a ludicrously debilitating condition because there's just a, you can sit in front of something sometimes that is boiling with Pressure and procrastination and I just cannot break the seal on this piece of work and I can sit in front of something for a really long period of time and it's it's ludicrous to go why you know but it's but actually it isn't it's just something in that brain circuitry that just will not allow me to get started or that will not allow me to get finished um and so you know it's 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 all quite crazy really can't remember what the
0: question yeah. was now. Uh. <laughs> no, no, I think no. That was really interesting as well because I think it it links. We'll we'll just sit on that a little bit because mm. I think it would be useful to sort of think about you know think about how being an academic with ADHD actually kind of plays out in practice, but also as a kind of lived experience for you. I mean, you you touched upon it there, didn't you? Sort of saying you know procrastination, you might be sitting on something for a long time, and it it is debilitating. I mean, sort of again, you can sum this up in a more general way but i mean what what is that lived experience like i mean you know being an academic with a diagnosis of adhd you mentioned some of the deficit aspects and and how it can be quite debilitating i mean could you give us a bit more insight into that
1: yeah i mean so some of the one of the um one of the easiest ways to sort of try to or well, Try to make sense of what it's like day to day, and and how and how I experience it is. is Your brain is just often just on fire, like it's noisy in there. Now, I spent four years of my life just feeling that that or this is just. I had no reason to sort of look at that and go, it's operating in this kind of way because because of anything because that's just how it's always been. So first of all, it's all new, but also I didn't have a lens through which to sort of say actually, it's it's this thing. It's like, oh yeah, wow. Now that I've read, understand that that's not most people's experience um you then start to become even more acutely aware of how uh, this isn't good but the thing that really helped me understand the difference was i did a lot of neurofeedback therapy which for anybody that doesn't know and it is not particularly common practice in the uk but it's a frontline defense for bipolar and ADHD in the states it's brainwave therapy um it takes quite a long time to kick in and it's essentially a process of, of um, <laughs> any of the if there's any experts listening, I'm sure I'm absolutely massacring this. But it's essentially a process by which you're feeding back information to the brain on the electrical activity. And if you if you do that over a period of time, the brain can actually kind of regulate itself with that information. So what you it's, it's essentially the, the, the brainwave version of standing in front of a mirror and going, oh, look, the tie's out of place. I better sort of tighten that and do this or, correct my hair it's just looking at the waves being really kind of disproportionately active in certain areas and then it will start to gradually narrow them and sort of you know buffer them into a more balanced uh bandwidth you know the use of the bandwidth and so what happens when you do that is what happened for me when it really started to kick in after a few months of doing it is i was doing the washing up and i was just doing the washing up I wasn't thinking about really anything. I was just really present, really calm. And I wasn't desperately trying to get it finished. Like, Oh my God, I've got to do this. And Oh, this is just a really, a huge drain on my life. I to do this boring stuff, or, what else am I going to listen to? What am I doing after this? all that? I just suddenly, I was like, whoa, this is really interesting because that's, that's a level of calm and sort of peace that I don't usually get. So you can also get quite aggravated quite easily with ADHD. If you're overstimulated in certain areas and, you know uh, again after doing a lot of neurofeedback i left the house one morning with a flat tire that i'd felt coming on the the way the way home the night before and 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 uh, and just I got to the end of the road and just as i felt that sort of enraging kind of you you know all the negative self talk all the kind of like, <laughs> why didn't you just sort this out and do that because you're just not on it and it, i just almost saw that wave just flip and pass me by and instead I just sort of just went okay, look, it's not the end of the world. I can go back and either pump a tire up or, you know, jump on my bike, a motorbike instead. And I'll be 10 minutes late than I was. And it's not really anything to make a big deal of. Now that might sound like a perfectly, you know, like a normal reaction. It's not a normal reaction for someone like me. It's those kinds of things can be. So that, that level of, so having had a bit of a comparison of a level of peace and a level of acceptance and, and calm reaction to stuff, um, Again, this is one of those sides of things that having had a bit of relief on it, you get to go, OK, well, if I'm really dysregulated um, and I'm really not managing my regulation and all the things I need to do to try to keep me in, I'm going to be like that. And it's going to be quite and, and I might really just be all over the place. And of course, being quite personal, personable and being quite people pleasing, that doesn't often manifest In fact, at all, I, you know, I I give you I give you a grand if you can go and find somebody that I work with in the last five years that's gone rich, really angry at this, at me personally and can remember anything like that. Indeed, so I'm just not that kind of person. It all goes into into me and it often goes into just more disorganization, more like uh i've just forgotten now i've just forgotten loads of things or i've just uh you know i'm looking at my desk going like right what am i what am I going to do this afternoon then now because i've got some free time oh no i'm supposed to be on a call i'm actually supposed to be doing something and oh so it's all about having seen a bit of relief around that you just realize how dysregulated you are and and then the neurofeedback therapist really explained this well it's about bandwidth so your bandwidth is is um it's just very compromised, and the activity might be in a lot of the wrong kinds of areas. Um, and so, day to day, that lived experience is just—it's for me—is a constant return to going like, right. I notice. I now notice I'm having a really, a strongly dysregulated day. Um, and 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 realistically speaking, the the most simple things are the things that matter the most. It's like, how how well have I actually slept? Am I on routine with eating? Um, have I had to just deal with something that's disrupted me and then really pulled me out of focusing on something? Um, how has that then exacerbated this, this sort of sense of dysregulation? And so certain days, um, you know, am I exercising enough? All of these kind of general maintenance things um always what I end up going back to rather than just the, the actual ongoing strategies of how to deal with the manifestation of it. It's like how do how can I actually keep it at bay as much as possible and keep as regulated as possible and give myself, my body and my brain the best chance to sort of be in a in the right kind of state to not suddenly be like running on empty or burning out and, you know, trying to do too much. Trying to do too much is another really big thing. It's like if you are, you know, if you see me rushing and see me really buzzing around, it's like what I would want people to do is to see me being as close to as calm and balanced as they can, because once, once I'm from pillar to post, that's when things are really going to start to slip.
0: I mean, that was absolutely fascinating. I mean, there was so much there I think to sort of think about in, in the sense of, you know, it seems like you said, having, always having that awareness and sort of watching those responses and finding that calm. So obviously, I mean, I mean, it, it, in some ways could be quite sort of tiring and quite exhausting, always sort of having that to, to deal with, I can imagine. But it was mm-hmm. interesting what you said there about the yeah, about the sort of going back to those sort of basics, making sure you sleep well, eat properly, you know, with a good routine, get some exercise, you know, those sorts of things. They're sort of beneficial things for everybody, aren't they, irrespective of whether they have ADHD or, or anything else. We've reached the final question, Rich, mm. and it's it's one that's sort of close to my heart. So I'm an educational developer. And, you know, my main role is to work with staff, supporting them to develop their learning and teaching practices. I mean, what advice would you have for me if I was working with colleagues with ADHD?
1: So. Yeah, I, I, I've made. I think support to put in schedule time to work on the things that we say we're working on and not get pulled into other things. It's really difficult in any workplace, right? But I think it's incredibly difficult in HE because people, um, again, but certainly a lot of people I work with, there's, there's, there's a high degree of autonomy in the kind of work that we do. And we also have to be really flexible and adaptive at the same time. And so, again, going, okay, the ADHD strengths can really play into that, but it's also going to exacerbate the weaknesses. So it means that that would be great if someone's like, Rich, could you just have a look at this with me? Or, or actually, could you change what you're doing next week to do this and to do that? It's like, yeah, 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 cool. But there's so many new things happening all the time that if you're in an environment like higher education, you've got, I think, with ADHD, Folks, you've got to be really careful to go like, are we actually finishing the things that we said that we finished? And also, are you are you getting the time? So if, if things aren't milestoned and it's not like, right, I'm going to need to see some progress on this relatively quickly. So the longer away a deadline is, and the more potential, you know, if there's, I don't know, if you said something like there's 10 hours worth of work on something and there's a month to do it, that's kind of dicey. Like if it's 10 hours worth of work, then let's call it two weeks. And also let's figure out what the, what's going to happen after the one week mark. So I can just show some progress because even if it means I've been super dysregulated and I haven't even been able to get started on it, it's making it more immediate. So I think, there's again this just go back though to people's ability and willingness to be open with um you know there is a like there's a tension to navigate between how much you want somebody to do that with you and do that for you and also there's a tension to navigate with how much people are prepared to do that with you and for you so there's got to be a bit of push and pull um i think it's helping people if you're working with people with ADHD, helping them to just to, to get them into a the habit of saying no to things and finding a way to comfortably say, look, I'm just not available to look at this right now. is a good thing to, to remind them to do, or to, to, to say, look, are you finding ways to do this? Because once you can get a better technique for that, I think that's really helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the time blindness is a huge issue that um, I again, that I had really no. True understanding up until I had my diagnosis, and it's like, oh wow, yeah, I mean, it really is quite acute for me. So if I tell you, yeah, yeah, yeah I can do that, and I'll, I'll get it, I'll get it to you by tomorrow, you should be super suspicious of. Well, what else is Rich doing that's suddenly going to mean he can go and go and do this for me for tomorrow? And and I'm just looking at it, thinking like, yeah, I could, I could do that in half an hour, and and feasibly I've probably got half an hour there. And the reality is that, that's that's going to, especially if it's a close deadline, that's going to be not always the case because half an hour is actually potentially more like 90 minutes and it doesn't matter how mu- how many times i do that i'm more, i'm just always going to get it wrong um so i've had to get into that habit of going i have to i have to tell myself something that i don't really believe which is this is going to take 90 minutes actually or it might take two hours and i don't really believe it but i just have to go but that that is actually it's really weird and counterintuitive it's much more trustworthy so if you're work if you're working with people with ADHD, um, and they're looking to turn things around quickly for you or, or on certain time frames, just have a have a think about how often the time they say that things might take is is anywhere near as accurate and figure out either whether you're going to just work around that, you know, on, on their behalf and in the background, I by, by just saying, you know, I need it by in three days if you need it in a week, or, you know, um just getting a sense of when something might be a little bit closer to the wire. Or help them be direct about it and 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 know that it's okay that it will say it'll take longer um I think filtering ideas and outputs is a real area of support so I can throw quite a lot of things at a problem or a scenario um and if we're going to talk about it we could probably talk about it for a lot longer than we might need to um so anything you could do to help me and just thinking about help people in general to sort of Go, okay, yeah, but what exactly are we going to do next? And which of these sorts and these things is definitely the next possible action? Um, now I'm usually quite good at doing that. It's just I'll I'll probably spend too much time generating options. Or if we spend a lot of time generating options and we don't do that thing of like what are we actually gonna do with them, then 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 you can probably trust nothing will happen if the next action isn't clear. Um now look, this 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 is the sort of stuff that I think also you interesting about adhd is that everybody benefits from this and everybody has challenges with this all the time it's just the differences um with adhd it is, it is every day and it is absolutely exhausting and you can nail it one day and you know people say these things don't they like wow well, you know making a mistake is an opportunity to learn and it's just as long as you don't make the same mistake twice it's like i'm going to make the same mistake probably quite a number of times and beat myself up a little bit about it and go oh my god I should know this but it's going to take quite a bit of time before I stop making that mistake and then also there might be a long period of time where I've stopped making it and suddenly wake up one day and I'm making it again so I think um you know it's 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 extending all the things that you would normally do to support colleagues um and being aware that uh, there might be a little bit of um Frustration around why hasn't this sort of sunk in for this person, or why are we still sort of going around again, so we haven't really cracked something that you might crack, you know, with supporting somebody else that doesn't have ADHD. I think, um, I think as well, um, sharing, sharing partially complete outputs. In a judgment free kind of environment. And what do I mean by that? It's about, uh, I still struggle. Um, there's a handful of people I can really share what I call the mess, which is a work piece of work in progress that quite close to it uh, needing to be complete isn't going to look like that. But that's not, but helping them understand that that is not a reflection of how much I have and haven't thought about it and how quick I'll actually be able to resolve these threads of thinking. Uh, You know, it's, it's like, look, this stuff just isn't going to look coherent until it has to be. It's just not. So I need to be able to show things to people and go, let me walk you through it. Let me talk you through it. Maybe let me draw it on a whiteboard. Um, and as long as you go away with the sense that I'm on the right track and then you, know, you, you don't need to actually necessarily worry that it, it won't look um, proofed, completed and, and, and in a state that a normal draft might. Um, and so, yeah, I think those are those are the kinds of things that have helped me. Um, and, you know, I don't get these right all the time and uh, none of those sort of silver bullets, but um uh, there are ways of how I found it's more helpful to sort of process things. And, and, and I suppose they're reflections of how, you know, you're saying oh, how, how might I work with colleagues. Um, that's kind of a reflection of how I would work with you if you were working with me. I would make some quite clear sort of distinctions about what is and isn't going to work. And just ask, ask and, um, you know, um, would it you know would it be helpful if and I suppose, um never be afraid to sort of step into a space where it might feel like you're offering somebody the kind of help that as a professional given a certain job role or status they might maybe people maybe people don't want to be offered that help because why would they need it but I'm kind of pretty like <laughs> yeah, yeah I would I, I would I take that help that would be really helpful for me because um, uh, I can be open about it isn't going to happen without some help kind of thing. So I I guess it's just, just a ask. And I think people will tell you um, to the extent they're comfortable. And then over time, they'll get more comfortable with with being a little bit more honest. It's it's tough. A friend of mine, uh, we've got a couple of friends on an ADHD chat. We don't work in the same company. So even that, is really interesting because we talk about stuff and, and even then we don't have to stop and think like, okay, but how might, how might this worry somebody who's expecting work from me or, and we can just, so we'll say, to, you know, we'll say, well, why don't you go and, why don't you go and do 20 good minutes on this and tell me in an hour that you've done it. Right. And if you manage to get 25, great. You do these little tips that ADHDs can do, but if you do it for other people um, then uh, and for each other, that's a good bit of support as well um yeah i'm rambling now sorry
0: (laughs) i think there's so much there i mean one thing that really (laughs) resonates no no i I think i think it's fascinating because i mean a lot of what you said it was about sort of amping up those supports and scaffolds and kind of reducing and removing barriers but i think you rightly mentioned that's beneficial to everybody anyway you know there's there's that phrase which i'm not a massive fan of but it kind of is what what we're kind of on about it's like you know if you design for those in the margins it benefits everybody and there's an Absolutely. element of that in there isn't it? it's just like well you know providing clear milestones and sort of saying to people look you know this is due in in two weeks and after a week this is where you should really be at it's beneficial to everybody it's like okay you know it's not just beneficial for for those with adhd rich i'm gonna i'm gonna time there, it's been an absolutely Great. fascinating conversation. Thanks so much for being so open and sharing your experiences. I think the oh. listeners are going to get so much from that, and maybe at some point in the future we can get you back on for another conversation.
1: I really enjoyed it, uh, which sounds a bit odd saying that now because all I've done is talk uh, and mostly talk about myself. So what does that say? But I really enjoyed it for what it's worth. And um, if I, I'll, I'll send you details over, and if anybody wants to contact me, I. Um, uh, I've send you my details of contact as well because I'll talk to anybody about it. So
0: That'll be absolutely fantastic. Thanks ever so much, Rich. Take care of yourself.
1: Thank you.